1: Yes, yes, yes. Good morning. Good to see everybody. Everybody feeling okay? Marginally. It's okay. Spring's coming, I promise. I am, as you can tell, nursing a little bit of a head cold, so be merciful to me and we'll get through it this morning. I'm glad to see you. Um, This week we're closing out our Proverbs series. Last week you got to hear from Pastor James up at Citizens Akron, and the week before that you got to hear from Dave Short, our executive pastor here. And um, this series has kind of like flown by. I feel like I was really excited to get in Proverbs and I blink and it's gone. And so a little bit for you here, just as before we get into the text this morning and kind of set the direction for where we're going. I think the Proverbs is kind of one of these books that the more time you spend in it, the more formed you are by it. If you try and like read through it in one sitting, it's totally like drinking like a, from a fire hydrant. It doesn't work. But the more time you spend in this thing, you just kind of saturate yourself with the truth of God's word. In Proverbs, you go, oh, my gosh, like, I'm finding myself thinking differently. And so if that's you and, and you're looking for a jumping-off point and say, well, I'm interested in Proverbs now. Like, What do I do next? Quick little challenge for you. Um, Proverbs has 31 chapters and most months have 31 days. And so if you're looking for like another way of getting into Proverbs, pick a month that has 31 days, there's one coming up, and then devote one proverb to one day. And it's just kind of a way of kind of getting into God's word, just a little prepackaged devotional for you, uh, just on the book of Proverbs. So another thing that we want to talk about really before we get into the text, um, this year, I want to kind of map out where we're going the rest of this year. And um, whether preaching series and teaching series, I have a couple of reasons for, for doing that. Um, one, this is kind of a neat thing to celebrate, that, that the last two Membership Matters classes, our new members class here at North Canton Chapel, the last two have been the highest that we've had in a couple of years, which is really, really exciting. Um, yeah. Um, and that just tells me there's a lot of you that are, you know, settling down here at North Canton Chapel, or um, maybe you've been here a while and you're like, all right, I'm ready to go. And so if I'm in your shoes, I'd want to know, well, where are we heading the rest of this year? Like, how can I uh, prepare for that? And so we'll talk about that a little bit this morning. Another reason why I want to kind of let you know is I want to call you to prayer. Um, You'll hear some of these subjects in just a second that we're going after this year. And um, I just want to ask you if you would be in prayer for us as we move forward. Um, I don't know if you've been here for 10 minutes or 10 years, but I hope you believe that God has asked the local church to be a light on a hill. And so um, these are tough days to be the church. And so uh, we feel the need to speak into some things coming up this year that um, are going to be a little tough, and they require prayer. The third thing, reason why I really want to just set the tone out here, though, is it's important to me that you know how we come to these decisions. Maybe you've never asked that, but like, how do we decide what we're preaching? All these series and, and stuff like that. How do we arrive at this point? And so last fall, um, our staff fasted and prayed um, together, and we got together and said, okay, what is the Lord speaking into you? Like, what are the needs of our community? What are the needs of our church, the needs of our world? And then our elders joined us in that. We have eight elders that help to protect us as a church as we move forward in these days, and they joined us in that. And we all got together, and it was a really remarkable season where we could see unity, and clarity in some of these things. And so I'm really excited about it. Let me hit kind of generally where we're going. So right after Proverbs, um, obviously we have Amplify, you heard about, coming up. But then we're actually going to take a quick seven-week series called What Jesus Said. And I don't know about you, but when I read like, you know, headlines or I see politicians and celebrities, I'm like, yeah, you're compelling. But when I read the Gospels, And I read the words of Jesus. There's something about him that just compels me. And so we're going to take a look into these tough sayings that Jesus said. Then right after that, we're going to move into this kind of a theology study as to the person and work of Jesus. That's going to be about six weeks. Because not only do we need to know what Jesus said in the Gospels, but but who is he? If we are going to be a church who makes much of Jesus every day, why is who he is and what he did so important? And for me, like, that's really, really the most compelling thing. Um, And then when we get into summer, believe it or not, like May, June, July, kind of into August, um, typically it's kind of our rhythm as a church to fall into a book study where we kind of plunge ourselves headlong into almost a verse-by-verse walk through a particular book. And so this summer, we're going to take on the book of 1 Peter Buckle, yeah, well, there's a little mm, right? So you know, First Peter talks about all kinds of stuff. It talks about, like, what is the role of a Christian in a world where suffering and persecution are often the order of the day? What's the Christian's role and, and, and posture toward government, right? All of this stuff that it's kind of been sizzling in the headlines, First Peter talks about it. Right after that, we're going to have We Are NCC, which is basically our church picnic weekend. It's a great celebration here. And then right in the fall... We're going to do a six-week series called Holy Sexuality, where we're going to ask these questions like, well, what does God expect of my sexuality? And we'll hear, you'll hear more about that series for sure in the months to come. But this isn't just for married or single, but it's, it's really kind of this all-encompassing question. God, what do you expect when it comes to that? And then we're going to close out the year actually with a character study in the life of David. Um, David, who was called a man after God's own heart, and yet colossally failed in so many places in his life. And he's such a testament to God's gracious character. And then, believe it or not, Christmas is going to be here. So, I know, all we got to do is, like, step on the gas. No, I'm joking. So, I want to encourage you, please. I want to let you know where we're going this year. You'll hear more about all of those. But I want to encourage you, just pray as we turn the corner. Um, into this next series coming up in just a couple of weeks, What Jesus Said. I'm super excited about it. So, today though, today we're talking about decision-making in Proverbs. What does God's Word say, specifically in Proverbs, about making decisions, We all have decisions that we make from time to time. And I think that there's a very real tension out there that I kind of fall into. Most of us kind of go into one of two extremes. And here it is. The first extreme is what I'll call analysis paralysis. Analysis paralysis. And it goes like like this. It says, well, what if I turned left instead of taking a right? What if I went this way instead of this way? And then like every other decision in my life, if I made the wrong decision back here, every other decision is off and I'm outside of God's will forever. You ever wondered that? I tend to fall in that one, because I overthink. You're like, yeah, we know (laughs) That's called analysis paralysis, and it's this like, we get stuck because we don't know the right decision, and so we just kinda like freeze. Then there's this other extreme, which I think is sometimes a result of the first one, If that's analysis paralysis, the other extreme is abdication, where I just go, okay, fine, whatever, I don't know. God, you're going to do whatever you want anyway, so blah. So it's almost like we don't seek the Lord because he's going to do whatever he wants. Anyway, he's sovereign, so I can't make a bad decision, right? The truth of it is that there's a third way right in the middle, and it is, is so often the way with Jesus and the way in God's word is this third way that these two extremes miss. And so here's what I want to offer you this morning. And with this, we'll get into the text. Decision-making is not about making a decision. It's about making a person. Decision-making is not about making a decision. It's about making me as a person. So what we're going to do is three principles, all supported by a bunch of text. And then I'm going to give you a quick story, and then we'll close out today, believe it or not. So principle number one, here we go. Decisions come from the heart. Decisions come from the heart. We're going to take a look at three Proverbs really quick. All of these Proverbs talk about the natural state of the human heart. My heart, your heart, who we are naturally, and just a word of warning, all three of these Proverbs get progressively hard to hear. But this is the medicine that tastes terrible, but it's what we need if we're going to get our hearts turned the right way. Here's the first one. Proverbs 16, verse 9, here's what it says. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. You hear that, and you're like, okay, so a mild caution. Okay, gotcha. But then the temperature heats up a little bit with Proverbs 19, 19. Verse 21, we'll come back to these, don't worry. Proverbs 19, 21 that says this, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand. And now we're like, okay, a little, little bit of a gut check. Okay, but I'm feeling okay. But then finally the noose tightens a little bit more with Proverbs fourteen twelve, which says this, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. You're like, okay, this just went way past, like, think before you do something. And now we're talking about death. Like, hopelessness, darkness, death. What is this about? Really? Like, so let's back up and let's get a closer look at each of these three Proverbs. Because they all use three slightly different word pictures in three different ways. Let's go back to Proverbs 16, verse 9. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Here's what I love about this one. I love that God is pictured like a father here, tenderly planting our feet where we need to go. You ever try to help a toddler walk? That. It's like they lift up their foot. They're not sure where to put it down. And then the tender hands of a loving father go, here. (laughs) Or support you while you're trying to figure out the right direction to go. We're meant to see a contrast here between what we plan in our head and what actually happens. God does that part. God does the placing of my steps. We're meant to be left with this very strong sense of God's sovereignty here. It's this warm, tender, fatherly sovereignty that comes from the Lord. To think about this, that the creator God of the universe knows you, loves you, sees you enough that even in the decisions that don't seem all that consequential, he's going to clasp his hands around your ankles and go, here, let me set you down where you need to go. That's just beautiful. But then here's the second one, Proverbs nineteen twenty one. This one's beautiful also for a little bit different way. In this proverb, Solomon uses another kind of a metaphor, and this one is construction. He imagines that our plans are like buildings, and this image of what will stand, what will last. Sounds a lot like Jesus, doesn't it? You Remember how Jesus talked about lives that are built on rock and lives that are built on sand? And this is Solomon going, hey, I know you have a ton of plans in your head. I know you have a ton of decisions that you can make on your own. I know you've got a route that you would like your life to take. And this is him offering us a little bit of a caution flag saying, hey, if you want those things in your life to last, it's actually the purposes of the Lord that will stand in your life. Otherwise, those are just castles made of sand ready to slip out into the sea. But then at last, in the grim reaper of this trio, Proverbs 14.12, where he talks about death. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs 14.12. Solomon invites us to imagine a third picture, a pathway. And here, Proverbs 14.12, it's like he says, that pathway that you saw, it looks pretty good from where you're standing. It makes sense, right? You could kind of look forward and kind of maybe crane your neck around the first corner, and that path looks okay from where you're sitting. Things make sense to you in your gut, but let me tell you, my child, sometimes the best-looking paths lead to the worst places. This is Solomon's caution for us. You ever had that experience? You started down something you thought was going to be great, and then you're like, oh, gosh. Three proverbs, three word pictures, wobbly feet, faulty construction, and deceptively dark pathways. Now, here's what I want us to see. All three of these proverbs are basically saying the same thing. They all talk about the same subject, plans, dreams, hopes, desires, goals, decisions. They're all contrasting proverbs, right? Not this, but this. They all reach the same conclusion, and here it is. All three of those proverbs are like a caution sign on Decision Road that says, slow down, Turbo. Take your time. Be suspicious of your beautiful little selfish heart. That's hard counsel to hear. That I am often wrong. I'm more often wrong than right. Can you think of a more countercultural, like counterintuitive thing to suggest than that? When it comes to life on my own, out there trying to lead from my gut, from my heart, from what I think is right, I am wrong more often than I am right. Why? Don't trust your gut. Don't listen to your heart. Don't act on your hunch. Because here's Solomon saying that gut that you have, Brandon, it's sour. That heart that you have, it's selfish. All those hunches that you're relying on, not as reliable as you might think. But aren't you glad that God is offensive because he can restore us? God doesn't mind telling us truths that we need to hear, even when we don't want to hear it, because he graciously can also build us up. But let's sit here for a second, because we need to allow time to react to that. Here's how this hits me, at least at first. Remember those two extremes we talked about? Analysis, paralysis, and abdication? This one makes me go over here, and I just go, fine, whatever. God, if my heart is deceptively wicked, and I can't trust my hunch, and you're sovereign anyway, then I'm just going to take my hands off the wheel and let you direct my life, and we'll figure it out at the end. Sure. And if that's all we get, we're seeing the surface, but we're missing the point. Because in typical, beautiful wisdom literature, Solomon's way, there's what he's saying, and then there's what is underneath what he's saying. What he's saying is a declaration that my heart is wrong. But what's underneath that declaration is an invitation to imagine something else. What if your heart was different? What if you wanted the right things? What if you could rely on it? What if you wanted the better things? What if the decisions that I made came from a heart that genuinely wanted to honor God more than myself? What if the skew was gone? What if the bent in my soul towards self wasn't there? What would that be like? And then with that dangling out there, here comes this fourth proverb in this section, Proverbs 21. Here's what he says. Proverbs 21, verse 2. There it is. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. That sounds right. We're like, yes, I get it. I get it. Enough. Beat me up, God. But then he says this, but the Lord weighs the heart. And you go, oh, that's the problem. That's what the Lord looks at. My heart and Solomon pushes the dirty little truth that we tried so hard to hide out into the open so we can really see it, that I plan the wrong things because I actually want the wrong things. That I make selfish decisions because I am selfish. Underneath even the noblest gestures, there's always this subtle but strong undercurrent of idolatry because, guys, I'm an idolater, and you are too. That's terrible news. (laughs) And until this changes, this will never be right. Until this is made right, this is always clouded with self. Until this is made in accordance with what God wants, this is always going to want what I want. Ultimately, here's the insight. Decision making is about who has authority over my life. Who's directing this thing? Who sits on the throne of my heart? Who gets to say what I want and why I want it? Who is Lord over Brandon Marshall? It's a very key question that we have to ask. And here's the insight for us on this. Our enemy does not have to convince you that Jesus is bad. He only needs to convince you that Jesus is irrelevant. I'll say that again because it's super important. The enemy does not need to convince you that Jesus is bad. Who would vilify Jesus? Jesus is a great preacher. He preaches love and peace. He's super bold. He's strong. He's merciful. Jesus is great. He doesn't need to convince you that Jesus is bad. He just needs to convince you that he is irrelevant. He's nice. But you don't need him. You're fine on your own. He's quaint as a savior. But useless as a Lord. He's cute, but he can't change you. He doesn't need to convince you that Jesus is bad, he needs only to convince you that he is irrelevant. Does that remind you of anything else? A garden with a tree, a tree with some fruit, and over the shoulder, this soft, sly whisper that inflates an ego and an ego that dismisses a Savior. And says, no thanks, I got it. That's the whisper that Solomon wants to alert us to. So that's principle number one. That's the bad news. (laughs) Decisions come from our heart. And now we're left with a problem, though, because that sounds hopeless. It sounds dark, doesn't it? Principle number two, decisions are relational. Decisions are relational. Back to Proverbs 16, this time Proverbs 16, verse 3. And we're going to camp here for a little bit. Here's Solomon's word to us, Proverbs 16.3. He says, commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Now, this is not a contrast proverb, is it? Those first were this, but this. This one is a consequence proverb. Do this, and this is probably going to happen. There's an imperative verb in there. It says, commit your works to the Lord, and your plans will be established. How do you commit your works to the Lord? What does that even mean? Is that like, okay, Jesus, Like I will name my new bass boat after you if you make sure I get the financing, right? I'll just commit it to you and say, God, you must be good. doesn't work like that. God is not interested in a bartering system for transactions. He's interested in you. The Hebrew word for commit here is a really, really awesome word. Um, It's a picture of rolling a boulder over to somebody else and leaving it there. Commit. It means to roll, to roll it over, to take my hands off and leave it there. Decisions feel like burdensome things sometimes, don't they? Anybody facing a decision today that you wish you didn't have to make? They feel burdensome. They can weigh us down. They test the limits of our ability. They bring us to the point of breaking. Good. That's a reminder of our fragility. It's a reminder of our needfulness our dependent humanity, our need to be cared for. Sounds a lot like Peter in the New Testament when he writes, cast your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Do you hear the relationship there? Because he cares for you. Here's the question. What would you have to believe about somebody to roll all of your burdens over to them? Actually, really do that. What would you have to believe about them? That they're stronger than you are? That they can handle it? That they have your best interest? That they're wiser than you might be? That they know more than you are? That they love you more than you could ever handle? That when you break, they're going to catch you? You have to believe a lot of things. Here's what I know about me. That we are prone to overestimate our ability and prone to underestimate our inability, right? We are prone to overestimate our ability and prone to underestimate our inability. All those hopes, plans, decisions, all that weight is better suited on the Lord's back than mine. And guys, isn't that a struggle to believe? Like it's not like I do this once and then I'm good. Like this is an everyday kind of a thing. We never ever graduate from dependence on God. Here's what we need to remember. If Jesus is worthy of worship forever, then he's worthy of trust now. People who worship Jesus purely from this heart of like, yes, Lord, you can have it. People who are comfortable with surrender. What is that? You look at them and you go, how did you get there? They're people who trust Jesus now. 19th century preacher and theologian, one of my favorites, Charles Spurgeon, put it this way. He said, I have a great need for Christ, and I have a great Christ for my need. And I know we say that. We like that. But so often we don't live that way. We accept the greatness of Christ in theory, but we deny it in practice. I mean, we say it. We just sing about how great Christ is, right? We sing about Jesus. We talk about Jesus. We say his name at home. He's got his name on coffee mugs, right? He's in our Spotify playlist. We sing and we listen to how great Jesus is. But what happens is we understand all of those great needs and decisions and things that we have, all these hopes and dreams that press upon us. We understand that we have all these things which we are totally capable of handling on our own. Right, And so trust, gosh, by now you know this isn't about seven tips to make a good decision. This is about a relationship. Can I really roll that boulder of trust over to the Lord, leave it there, and trust that he will handle it? I think there's a few questions on this one before we move on. Because what worries me is sometimes I wonder if we really have the basic ability to trust him have we cultivated this do you believe that he's worthy of your trust really do you believe like if you roll those things over to him and you say okay lord i need you to help me deal with it i don't see a way out of this i don't know how you're going to fix it i believe that you're not going to crack because i might but you won't have you come to a point where you're saying yes lord i actually believe that you're worthy of my trust Another question we've got to ask is, am I being formed by his word? Seems like an odd thing when we're talking about trust, but here's the deal. The Bible is not just a bunch of cute stories that are suitable for coloring pages. The Bible is evidence in the courtroom of my heart that God is trustworthy. He just shows himself over and over and over again. Like, I don't read the word to memorize it or because it's catchy or because it's the churchy thing to do. Like, This is evidence that God is worthy of whatever burden, decision, and hope, and these things that are on my heart. He can handle it. Third question, though, and this is where it gets a little harder, at least for me, it gets a little more personal. Am I patient enough to wait for the Holy Spirit's leadership in his timing? Oh, ouch. That one hurts me because I want answers now. Like, I know what I need now. I need an answer now. And the, qu- the question that my impatient toddler little heart needs to ask is, am I patient enough to wait for the Lord? The timing will be right when the timing is God's. Because if he is perfect, his timing is also perfect. Another question to ask, and then I'll we'll move on to the third principle. Am I courageous enough to act on the leadership of the Holy Spirit, even when he tells me what I don't want to hear. Oh, gosh. Not only do I know when I want the answer, I usually know what I want the answer to be. Anybody else? So what we do is it's like, God, I'm going to take the first step forward in faith, and then I just need your backing. (laughs) Like, I just want his stamp of approval. Like, I just need his thumbs up after I go ahead and do the thing I want to do anyway. Gosh. Gosh. What we really need is not some sort of external affirmation. What we really need is internal formation. Decision-making is not about making a decision. It's about making me. So if you wrestle with turning your heart over to a God that you can't see, let me offer you a word on that. Trust begets trust. Trust begets trust. Start trusting God with the small things And then before long, you'll trust him with the medium-sized things. And before long, you're trusting him with the larger things. This is a cumulative thing. Trust begets trust. And you guys know this. You have a heavenly Father who is so eager to show himself trustworthy to you in these small things over the course of your life as you develop as a follower of Jesus. He'll show himself more and more faithful. And that's principle number two, decisions are relational. Principle number three, and this is the one everyone will nod our heads at, but it's the hardest one to practice, especially in days like today. Decisions are community projects. Decisions are community projects. And so for this one, two Proverbs, we'll get to each of these kind of one at a time. Let's take a look at Proverbs 11, verse 14. Here's what it says. Proverbs eleven, fourteen. 14. Where there is no guidance, a people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Now here he's talking about like larger, like national interests. Where there's no guidance, people falls. But, here's the contrast, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. That word for counsel is a really great word in Hebrew too. It means steering a ship. Counsel. Steering a ship. It's kind of like saying, if life is like piloting a ship on the open sea, I need other people to help me out with this thing. Before I go Jack Sparrow on this and grab the thing and go wherever my heart tells me to go, I need to look at people who know these waters that I'm going through, who see things I can't see, who are aware of the dangers that I don't know about. There's wisdom in listening to counsel for those who've navigated these waters before me. And that sounds great, like don't go it alone, But it actually gets more personal, and I would actually suggest more difficult than that. Another proverb for this one is Proverbs 20, verse 5. It's one of my favorite proverbs, and it's one of the hardest ones. The purposes in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. Purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. What a great word picture. Solomon imagines that the human heart is like deep water. There's stuff down there that I can't see. Motivations I can't understand. Ideas that aren't decisions yet. Hopes without plans. Feelings without handles. Hurts without any labels. Anybody else have some of that stuff? You know it's down there. Solomon uses the word purposes to talk about these things, our motivations, these things that drive us. I've got them and you've got them. We've all got this stuff, deep stuff, personal stuff, painful stuff sometimes, right? Deep, personal, painful stuff. We've all got it. And if I'm just being real with you guys, like those things for me, sometimes they really have a hard time coming to the surface. Why? Because I like keeping them down there. (laughs) It's easier to get through life that way. And you're probably the same way. And this is Solomon offering us a very different course. He says, don't go it alone, yes. But then he says, you need somebody around you who can draw that stuff up. Well, what kind of person is that? This is a man of understanding. This is a good counselor, time-tested spiritual friendship, someone who doesn't tell me what I want but what I need to draw those things out of me. And you're the exact same way. Just to push the metaphor a little bit, this is someone who's willing to do the deep dive down there with me into that padlock treasure box that's buried under miles of water and tons of pressure. And with the wisdom that God has given them, take out the keys, open it up, bring all that stuff back up on deck, and let me see it for what it is. Don't you kind of crave somebody like that in your life? It's painful, but it's such a help. A man of understanding will draw them out. Here's why that's important. Something I've learned. When I am by myself, I can convince myself. You know that's true? When I'm all by myself, I can convince myself almost of anything. I can convince myself that those bitter feelings are fine. I can convince myself that those unacknowledged blind spots, they're not really that terrible. I can convince myself that the the direction that I should go, even if it's nowhere, or the decision that I should make, even if it's doing nothing, I can convince myself that all those things are right because I've locked myself inside the echo chamber of my own head and my words are just endlessly bouncing around in there, confirming what I already believe. I'm the only one like that, I'm sure. (laughs) As long as no one's speaking into our lives, no one can see the blind spots, no one can tell me what I need to change, Nobody can see what I don't see. No one can question my thinking. And so here's what happens. Tell me if you've ever been in this place. We keep people at a culturally appropriate arm's length distance. long, like f- Close enough to be cordial and civil, but far enough away where they won't really press in. Because we intuitively know that community real community, starts with vulnerability, and vulnerability always means risk. And here's the problem in church world, just to push a little further. We make community the thing, right? I got to get in a group. I got to get connected. I got to get, maybe, maybe, maybe. Hear me, connection is good, but it's not the goal. Connection is only strategy into the larger goal of becoming like Jesus. I don't need community because I need something to do. I need community because of somebody I need to become. It's very, very different. You guys are all busy. We don't need more stuff clogging up the calendar. Don't sign up for a group. Don't do anything like that just because you need something to do because then community becomes a burden. Connection, community, whatever, without formation, becomes this empty, tiresome rhythm that drains me. But... Here's the gospel correction that we need to see. When I hunger for God's wisdom more than anything else, and I surround myself with people who are that way, who know and walk with me, but more importantly, know and walk with Jesus, they call things out in me that I would rather keep buried, and they do it for the betterment of God's kingdom and for my own sanity. And then community moves from something on my calendar to something I depend on. It moves from something I'm interested in to something that I'm desperate for. Let me tiptoe out on the cultural ice for just a second, and then I'll back up. I think that in the world that that we live in right now, where we're all feeling more disconnected than we were three or four years ago, I think the church has the greatest opportunity. I'm not talking about just this church anybody who commits their life to Jesus and living in unity with those who've done likewise. The church has the best chance of restoring community for a world that so desperately needs connection, not because we all think alike, look alike, act alike, vote alike. That's how the world defines community. But the church just gets to say, look, I have been changed. I am being changed and I will be changed by Jesus. That's why division in the church is so terrible and so costly. Because we're surrounded with people. Every one of us have treasure boxes locked under miles of water, and we need wisdom to go down there and open them up. So that's principle number three. Decisions are community projects. Decision-making is not about making a decision. It's about making me. So a quick story on this. And um, I'll just let you know how I got this so colossally wrong once. And then we'll talk about how God just... Fixed everything. You ready? Hmm. So this is about 12 years ago. And Mandy and I had um, just finished a season of church planting. Our, our first kind of season in marriage, the first six years were out in Colorado. And um, it was a really, really good season. Both our boys were born out there. Uh, we did seminary out there, church planting. I worked for a honey farmer. Pretty sweet job. There it was. I'm just making sure you're still awake, that's all, Okay. So it was an incredible six years, but it was honestly, it was a really crazy six years because we were so busy, and I tend to be a little ambitious. I tend to be a little driven. I tend to like to go off on my own. I tend to just like full steam ahead, okay? And like happens so often in early marriage, um, if you fail to cultivate these very basic things, you pay the price later. So there we were for six years, just going and blowing, cranking, like enjoying Colorado because come on, it's Colorado, it's beautiful. And then we got um, a call from our missions organization. We were faith-supported missionaries while we were out there saying, hey, we have a church replanting opportunity for you. It'd be downstate Illinois. And so we're like, oh man, it sounds really great. Like, I love this idea. Like, it'd be closer to family. Like, this is awesome. And so my mind, I'm like, periscope down, let's go. And Mandy's going, hey, um, I don't, I don't know. Like, just, I don't. I don't feel like this is right. I'm going, yeah, 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 I'll we'll figure it out when we get there, right? Also during this time, I hadn't been in the Word for a long time, which sounds funny for a pastor to say, right? I had, ac- I had academized my devotional life, which is a dangerous thing for pastors. It tends to happen every once in a while. where like, the only time you're in the Word is for sermon prep, bad thing. So we packed up the family we're like, all right, here we go. We moved to this town in downstate Illinois. We rented out this like terrible grody kind of an apartment, but we were there and we're like, we're plugged in, all right, we're here, da da da, it's gonna be great. And then I came we we're there for two weeks. I came home from a meeting, and it was probably a deacon meeting or something. And um, the boys are upstairs asleep. There were three and two at the time, and Mandy's six months pregnant with Hannah, her daughter. I came home from a meeting, it was like 9:30 at night, and um, Mandy is sitting in the corner of this apartment in a brown recliner and just weeping. And I don't mean like crying. I mean like weeping, like from here. And like trying to be like the husband I came over and held her hand. I'm like, hey, what's wrong? You know. And here's what she said. She says, I'll never do this because I know it's wrong. I feel like I want to take the kids and leave you. Now, Mandy is a godly woman. Mandy walks with the Lord. Mandy is led by the Holy Spirit. She is not a selfish person. So she's not being irrational when she said that. But when she said that, it was like the car hit the wall and I flew through the windshield and it's like, what in the world? What would cause a six-month pregnant woman who's been with me for, where, where did I go wrong? And so it was like my ears were still, I could picture it still in my head. It was a very defining moment in our marriage and just in our walks with the Lord. And it's clear to me where I'm going, okay, no matter what could happen here, this needs to be right. And we have to fix what somehow has gone untended for so long and what somehow has just been broken. Because like I told you, I'm like periscope down, go. So what was all that? I had led with my gut, (laughs) definitely, definitely. I wasn't really being formed by the Lord in that season, and I had basically gone to everybody who was trying to speak wisdom into my life, and the result was catastrophic. So we hit the eject button, and we said, hey, we got to figure this out. So we moved into my sister-in-law's basement, which was a wonderful shot to my masculine pride, <clears throat> and we said, okay, we got to figure this out. And so we started to seek some really good counsel. We got connected to a good church. We started seeing a counselor who could draw these things up out of our lives. And what we saw is over the course of the next six years, we saw God in his grace, in his mercy, rebuild all this trust and all this brokenness that I had busted up for so long. Now here's the point of that story. It's not just to be vulnerable. Here's the point. It's not like we just get to wrap up that season and go, glad that's over. Now, back to business. You never, ever graduate from dependence on God. You never, ever, ever get to a point where you go, that's it, Lord, I trusted you, and now it's life on my terms. Doesn't work that way. This journey with Jesus is not like that. You are never done with dependence. I'm just as much dependent on the Lord today as I was then. Because decision-making, whether it's buying a Ford or a Chevy, it's taking this job or that job, is less about making a decision, and it's more about making a person. And so the question that you I have, have to leave you with today is, are you willing to let God form you? And that sounds basic, I get it. It sounds like kindergarten, I know that. But are you willing to let God form you, no matter what? Whatever that means. It may mean quitting your job. I've been there. It was terrifying. It may mean hitting a reset button on everything that you thought was a given. I've been there. It's terrifying. Are you willing to be formed by God no matter what? And here's the counsel that I have for you, and the blessing may be for you encouragement. Nobody is wiser, nobody knows you better, nobody loves you more, nobody knows your future more. Nobody can care for you more individually than the Lord can. We're going to sing a song, and this is just one of these good gospel-type songs, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. Because I really think that when it comes to decision-making, it isn't about like, okay, well, there's pluses and minuses, there's pros and cons, there's this and there's this. No, 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 no. It's actually much deeper than that. Saying, Lord, you love me. And so you're best. That's what I want. Lord, I want what you want. I don't want what I want. I'm willing to trade that all for what you might have for me. Let's pray together. Father, we do say thank you so much for your kind, your generous, tender leadership in our lives. Lord, your patience that you lead us when we don't want to be led. God, you are patient with us. And so God, help us to be patient with you. Lord, for your wisdom, that you're like a good shepherd. You lead us where we need to go. Green pastures and still waters. Lord, help us to understand that you are wise and you are good. Father, we praise you for your goodness. That you'll never leave us, you've promised. You'll never forsake us, we'll never be alone. Father, to help us take comfort in the fact that you love us more than we could ever imagine. And we welcome you. Form us. Speak to us. Lord, we are listening. God, we love you. We say thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media.